this week on the podcast. Laura and I are back from our hiatus and ready to discuss a wealth of travel-related topics today. From my adventures hopping around Japan to innovation happening at Chengi Airport in Singapore. Hello Tours also has a new subscription service. And of course, all the latest happenings at Laura's new house in Ibaraki. Testing, testing. Testing all the believe we're back on laura how are you from ibaraki it's been such a long time since we've made a podcast i've almost forgotten how i think i have i hope i'm recording right now (laughs) (laughs) last time you didn't record me no i did i did run the test i think we're good here so uh Welcome back. I think we're actually going to present some uh, travel insights today. It's been a while since we've done that as well. I think we haven't done travel insights since September. To be honest. Wow. Crazy. Well, to be honest, like I've been pretty out of touch with travel since September, so it makes sense. that you've been out of touch with travel since September. Well, like I, I stopped working at CWW at the end of August. And so officially I was just kind of on my own and drifting around out here in this. Oh, that's true. But you have done lots of travel yourself recently, but we'll save that for the next section. Yes, that's going to be our focus discussion today. So um, I do have a travel insight that I'd like to share with you. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. So Singapore, Changi Airport, one of the best airports consistently rated around the world. Um, last year it had a new uh, section or I don't know what, a mall, I guess you want to call it. Called- oh, they had the Jewel added last year, Jewel. which is amazing. It is. It's got an enormous water vortex. It's literally the best thing I've ever seen. So you've experienced it. Well, yeah, because I was uh, living in Singapore, right? And then even after I moved to Japan, I was traveling back there um, to visit my staff, my team. So I have seen it and I concur. It's like incredible. Yeah, I was there, I think it was April of last year, right at, right after it opened. And it's just uh, incredible. We'll, we'll provide a link for people who don't know. But anyway... At Jewel. So obviously during COVID, you know, Singapore airport's been, it's a major hub, but it's been quite, quite empty during this stretch. And so not many people are visiting this uh, elaborate, uh, you know, area. It's a huge space, right? It's almost like being outside, but you're inside. It's like an atrium, I guess, is the best way to describe oh, it. It's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely enormous. And it's not only got the water vortex, but it's got like, um, it's got a swimming pool on the roof and it's got a butterfly park and it's got climbing frames and bouncing things and it's like, a- you name it, it's got it. Yeah, and it's very green. There's there's lots of plants, and it just feels like you're outside, but you're inside in the whole airport, and then especially the jewel area. So uh, I thought this was pretty ingenious. So they're now running over the holidays um, an opportunity for to do a glampcation. Do you know what glamping is? Yeah, I do. It's like um, glamorous camping. Exactly. So they're, they're placing these uh, nice... Uh, canvas tents inside the jewel area, decking them oh, out, nice. and people can rent them uh, for the night, I guess. And hold uh, on, you get to sit overnight in the jewel section of the airport. Inside the jewel airport, inside a tent inside the jewel airport. 
Oh, wow, <laughs> amazing. It's pretty cool, right? So, yeah, they, you know, families can rent them or they're doing uh, educational activities and stuff. It says starting from uh, 25th of November, limited slots available. If I was, if I was still in, in Singapore, I would totally be all over that. I would be going glamping at the jewel. You know what? We should really try to see if we can get someone to go there and report for us on how this is, if it's possible. I can send one of my team. There you go. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was a really, really cool way to innovate, you know, the the empty space right now and to, you know, bring a little bit of excitement there. Three adults, children. Pricing is 320 Singapore dollars a night. Weekdays, 360 on the weekend. A little expensive, but I guess, you know, it's a once yeah, in a lifetime experience. Wow. That's pretty cool though. Yeah, they got lots of good pictures here. So I'll post the, a link of this in the uh, the description. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And actually, they've been doing loads of work around the airport recently. They've also um, built, and it's now opened, a cycling path from the airport all the way. I think it goes nearly into the city, and they've themed it with dinosaurs. Wow. So as you're cycling down this path, there'll be like an enormous Tyrannosaurus Rex, like coming from behind a tree. Wow. Do you know why dinosaurs? I've got no idea why they chose dinosaurs. <laughs> were, were dinosaurs even on that landmass? <laughs> I don't think so. Good question. <laughs> so yeah, so that's my little uh, fun travel insight that I've got. How about you? You have something? Yeah, I do. And mine's related to Singapore. Okay. Um, and Hong Kong. Nice. And Japan. Which anyone who knows me well will know that these are the three locations which Hello Tours operates in. There you go. So my travel insight is all about something that my business has just launched, which is called Holiday by Post. Wow. And the idea is that, I mean, we basically haven't had any inbound travel in any of these locations since March. March, yeah. So we're coming on for nine months now. And... That means that all of our tour guides haven't had any work to do and they've all been scrambling around and taking up, you know, part-time jobs where they can, social distancing ambassadors or, you know, like um, security guard in a mall, um, helping out with catering companies. Everyone's been doing whatever they can. So I wanted to think of something which would give the guides a little bit of income, especially now coming up to Christmas. Um, and also would enable us to keep in touch with people that haven't been able to travel. Nice. So kind of works for both sides. Um, our tour guides miss doing tours and showing people things. And I know people miss traveling and exploring new areas and picking up little trinkets here and there. Yeah. So the holiday by post idea is you subscribe for six months, nine months or a year. Everyone, please choose a year. Um, <laughs> and every month we send a little gift from the location that you choose. And it's like a little souvenir. Nice. Yeah. So, for example, like in Singapore, one of the gifts is a really nice um, bookmark from the Raffles Hotel, which we quite often visit on tours. And then in Hong Kong, we've got... Um, what have we got there? Oh, we've got like a, a silicone mug cover with like a little tram on because we always go on the trams on oh, the tours. Makes sense. And those things are easy to put in the mail and send too, aren't they? 
yeah so we've chosen things which are quite lightweight and easy to send so nothing edible because we don't want anything to get stuck at customs anywhere um so for each location we've selected a range of really nice little souvenir type gifts that people might like to keep for themselves or give to someone else and in doing that a little bit of money goes to the tour guides and they get to feel like they're traveling or you know that kind of thing and you're putting money into the economy for the for the items that you're buying, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah. And we're trying to get them from like smaller businesses or, you know, businesses that are significant or have strong links to tourism. So get a little bit of money back into those economies. Oh, beautiful. And so that's uh, available to subscribe now or coming up? Uh, it's just launched. I launched it last night and we've already had our first booking wow. for Hong Kong which is incredible. Um, so we've got two options. One is the gift every month, and then one is just the postcard, so postcard-only option. And if you choose the gift, you actually get a video of the guide visiting the location and telling you about the gift and why it's special. Perfect. And this is open to anyone around the world that can subscribe to this. Anyone around the world can subscribe. Um and I strongly encourage everyone around the world. You know what, <laughs> Laura? I'm making a commitment right here on the pod. I'm subscribing tonight. <laughs> Customer number two. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jessup. <laughs> All right. So everyone, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll also talk about something else that they can subscribe to later in the show. But that's awesome. I love hearing that. Great. And I want to know what else they can subscribe to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I just remembered. I know I know. <laughs> so we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, we were going to limit it to one travel insight each. I don't know if this is travel insight or not, but it's definitely taking the, the world by storm right now. It's absolutely blowing up online and uh, trending on Google, everything. So have you heard about the mysterious monolith that was discovered in Utah last month. No, I haven't. You, ha you haven't? <laughs> in my direction. <laughs> She's living in the cow shed up in Ibaraki. Oh my God. Okay. So uh, last month, there were some biologists that were in a helicopter above the desert in Utah. And I think they were big, big horn sheep uh, counting or something like that, counting sheep. <laughs> and so one of the guys noticed, one of the guys noticed down in the valley between these rocks, a, a shiny metal object that was, was sticking up out of the dirt. And so they went back down and they landed the helicopter and there's a metal uh, mon monolith just sitting there randomly. And what? Nobody knows how it got there. It's not easily accessible. There's no roads or anything. They basically traced it, and it's been there for about four years now, based on satellite data, that this four years. yeah this metal object has been sitting there. So now it gets really interesting. So they discovered it, and then, of course, you know, people got the GPS location. There's been people visiting. A couple of days ago, it disappeared. Not sure if it's been disappeared by man or aliens. This is still yet to be determined. <laughs> Probably by pro probably by man, <laughs> but now now it's just going crazy. So after after Utah, it then appeared. I want to say in Romania or California. It's been in both. What? I think it might have been Romania it, next. Hold on, the same piece of metal appears in a different country. Now 
I don't know if it's the same one, but it's another monolith shaped the same, same kind of concept. And it's also been on the Isle of uh, Wight. I think they're in England on a beach. It appeared and in the Netherlands most recently, as of yesterday. Um, what? So How big is that? It, I think the original one was about eight feet tall. So it's not a small, it's not a small structure. It's not like somebody just put it in the post to these different locations. <laughs> they definitely didn't mail it to people. No. <laughs> so, not going to be on the holiday by posting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we could do like paper cutout monoliths or something, but so <laughs> it's become a re- it's become a whole sensation. There's a whole Twitter hashtag about it. There's a lot of memes obviously about it. So, um, there's a monolith tracker as well by a company called Monolith Communications here in Asia. And uh, Is they, this just your way of getting them to sponsor Man, I don't know. I'm gonna have to talk to them. But they've actually started a monolith tracker and a page. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put the link in the in the post for that so everyone can check that out and keep up on this uh, moving monolith around the world. And just one more question. Yeah. When it appears in a new location, it's no longer in the other location. It completely vanishes again. Yes. Exactly. True. This is a brilliant practical joke. <laughs> Whoever has thought this up is genius. It is. It is. So, um, yeah, this is taking the world by storm right now. And someone said that it has to do with the, the planets aligning on Christmas Day because Jupiter and Saturn and the moon are going to be perfectly aligned or something like that. I don't know. There's all kinds of what? stuff out there. So stay tuned for what's happening with the monolith fascinating it is it is so a lot of people have turns up in Ibaraki next yeah no no <laughs> no spottings in Asia yet so but people are out in traveling to to find monoliths now so it, I guess it is linked to travel it definitely is I hope everyone's social distancing on their monolith hunting expeditions <laughs> It's so good. So, so good. All right. Well, let's take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, my travel adventures in Japan and uh, your house adventures there in Ibaraki. Brilliant. Okay, we're live. We're here in Ibaraki. And we are back and it's time to catch up on Jessup's travels across Japan. That's right. I have been traveling a lot the last month and a half or so. You have. So I believe you've been to three or four locations. Can uh, you give us a rundown on where you've been to start? And then I'll dig a bit deeper into some of them. Yeah. And I think I had talked about on the last one or podcast before when I was in Niigata and Osaka and Kyoto and Atami on the fishing trip that never happened. But yeah. there, there's more. There's a lot more that followed after that. So... Um, I've also been to uh, southern Japan, Kyushu and Fukuoka City. Mm-hmm. Also been to Yamaguchi Prefecture and the city of Hagi, which I had never heard of before. No, me neither. And I was in Ibaraki on a cycling tour. And this one I know about because you came to visit me after. So we'll save that one for last. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been on, so the, on the go. Can we start with Hagi, the place that I've never heard of, you sure. have never heard of. Nope. So I'm going to make an assumption here and say most people have never heard of Hagi. Yeah, that's probably true. I think a lot of Japanese have. Uh, it's quite famous uh, amongst Japanese for its history. And and I think five prime ministers are from the city of Hagi. Wow. So it's a highly educated city. 
Yes, and it's actually the birthplace of Japanese uh, modern modern education system. There was a guy down there. Yoshida Showing. He was from Hagi, and he basically uh, decided that Japan needed to modernize its education system, and it's also the home of the Industrial Revolution of Japan as well. Is it? Yeah. So, so how how did this guy who decided that the education system needed to be revolutionized, how did he go about doing that? Well, he read a book. I guess he read a book uh, from the West and he was fascinated by, you know, the Industrial Revolution and everything. And so he was determined to learn everything that he could about about this. And so he, you know, I think at one point he tried to like get on like some of the ships, um, you know, the Western ships that were coming to Japan at that time. This was like the late 1800s. You know, he got on the ships and then they kicked him off and he wanted to go with them back to like to England and the U.S. and to, to be educated and know about it. But he never made it. But eventually there were five young students that actually did make it on one of the ships. The Fantastic Five. But they actually they actually sailed to England. They, they they spent five months and sailed to England, and they made it there and went to university and they learned all about um, industrialization and in education there in England. And then they came back, I assume, and brought yep. it back to Japan. Yeah, in fact, so all of these guys, you know, they specialized in various areas. From one guy was about like the railroad, uh, how they build rail rail lines, locomotives, and everything. And so he basically was the uh, transport minister for Japan. Another guy learned about making money. And so he started Japan's first mint and he was the minister of finance. And so all five of these guys or these young students became ministers of specific areas of Japanese uh, modern day um, governance and industrial revolution. Fascinating. Right? So they're they're really proud about this. And pretty much everyone here in Japan knows about these guys through schooling and education. And so all of the tourism that goes there is basically focused on this. So this must be a very popular um, domestic tourism location then with Japanese people. Yeah. I mean, and I should have asked them how many foreign visitors they get per year. Um, it can't be much because it's not too easy to get there. You have to fly, you know, from Tokyo, you can fly down to Ube City, Ube Airport, which is about an hour and a half flight from Tokyo. And then from there, it's an hour and 20 minute car ride or bus ride. Okay, definitely not easy for a tourist then. No, but it's absolutely stunning. So you fly down to Ube and you're on the Pacific Ocean side of Japan, basically. And then you drive over the mountains and you're on the Sea of Japan side. So it's pretty narrow down on that that mm. end of the Honshu Peninsula. And so you can experience both sides. And it's just a gorgeous drive. The city's absolutely beautiful. So it's a little hidden gem. It's kind of like what I had imagined Kyoto to be before I was massively disappointed how big of a city Kyoto was. Um, pres- <laughs> yeah, you know. just like a couple of streets that look like all the pictures you see online. Yeah, so besides the educational um, you know, benefit of it, it's a gorgeous city to ride around on bicycles. A lot of what I called bonsai trees. I guess they're not bonsai trees. They're called something else, but they're everywhere. They line the streets. Everyone's got them at their house, the parks, beautifully groomed. It's a gorgeous city. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. Can you put a couple of pictures in the promo video we do for this episode? I'm definitely going to do it. And I've been meaning to write an article about it on Medium. Uh, my articles have been lagging as well as the podcast. So I'm definitely going to write an article probably after this. Uh, I'll post a link to the article and I'll describe it. Pictures, videos, the whole nine yards. Lovely. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And definitely one for me to put on my list of places that I need to go and check out. Lots of beautiful Akia down there too. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, definitely need to go then. I'm thinking of making an Akia collection. Yeah, exactly. Why, why don't you get one? It's addictive. I think you just want more. Because the potential in them is just so huge. Oh, I want already talking about getting more i really did want one i told the i told the city because i was on what's called a monitor tour special thanks to japan travel for arranging the trip which they basically the city you know pays for us to come down go around give them feedback on what would be appealing to foreigners and i told to be honest all the places that they took us you know i said it's probably not as appealing for a foreign visitor more domestic and the places that we stumbled upon little neighborhoods and and things were the places we loved the most. And, you know, I said, if you can work out a deal, some of the empty houses I found, uh, the city can get it, I'll lease it or lease to own or something like that. Mm, perfect. Yes. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> can put me in touch with those city people too. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So after your Haggy trip, you went on to Kyushu. Yeah, I went down to Kyushu. So it's uh, to give people an idea of where it is. So Hagi and Yamaguchi is at the very bottom of Honshu, uh, Honshu Island, which is the main island in Japan. And then after that, there's a, a little causeway and there's a bridge that goes to the next island of Kyushu, the next biggest island. And so there, Fukuoka City went there for a, a day and a half, spent some time um, just going around eating. A lot of the places down there, people go to Kyushu to eat the food, um, specifically what's called yatai. And yatai are the little stands on the sidewalk where the people cook and they're in a tent um, and they're all set up in the evening and you can sit around the, the counter and eat with people. I think about 10 people they hold. And you just go around like, you know, eating five, six different places in the evening. And it's just fantastic. This sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. It's just it's just uh, eating, eating as much as you can. They also have a really nice beach. One of the nicest beaches I've been on in Japan. It was, you know, it was. Which city or town was this in, in Kushu? Fukuoka. It was in Fukuoka. And that was just across the causeway. Uh, pretty much. I mean, you can, you go across the causeway and you're in Kitakushu and then you go a little further on the Shinkansen, I think 20 more minutes and you're in Fukuoka. Oh, okay. um, I was down there in November. It was 25 degrees Celsius. I was on the beach. It was it was amazing. Oh, lovely. So yeah. me and Ichi are thinking of going down there for Christmas. Ooh, there so you go. Nice. So I'm even more excited now you've talked about all the foods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then um, after that, you came up to Ibaraki. I did. Actually, I've been meaning to come up and visit you, but I actually found another way on another monitor tour. I was sent up there to do a cycling tour uh, nearby you in the town of uh, Tsuchiura, and I did a four, 40K uh, electric bike experience, which was pretty cool. Oh, it was electric? Yeah. Well, I thought you'd actually like, cycled it and used your own power. <laughs> I did. I actually used the bike without the motor, except for when we got to the mountains. And then I, I, I turned it on and that thing was a breeze. I was so surprised how smooth it was. 
<laughs> so yeah. you did a one day cycling tour. I did a one day cycling tour. It was, it was it was really nice. That town actually is trying to brand itself as a cycling town, and so as soon as you uh, hit the station. Um, you've literally got bike paths within the station, uh, within cafes, within the bookstore, everywhere you go, you can basically take your bike inside and they have little pathways and where you can park it inside. It's really cool. Interesting. So there's a huge cycling market around this area, but it doesn't normally start in Chachura, as far as I'm aware. I believe it normally starts a little bit further north because it comes straight onto the lake, which is is what most people are cycling around. So yeah. I was a little bit surprised when you said, I'm going on a bicycle tour, but it's not actually on the lake. <laughs> so what, what happened was last year they had opened up, they had taken out a rail line, uh, a train line, <clears throat> and they converted it into a bike path. And I guess I don't... I think it was supposed to be ready for the Olympics. So when people come up, they can go cycling up there. And so it's a new bike path. It actually heads from Tsuchiura Station, heads west towards the mountains, so not towards the lake. Um, so maybe there's another path that starts somewhere else that heads out towards where you guys are at. Yeah, I think there is. Right. It'd be good if they could link those two together if they haven't already yeah. done so. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a great experience. And so then, you know, after I was done cycling away, I was able to come to Kasumigara Lake, uh, check out the beautiful views, have a barbecue at someone's house. And uh, it was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful experience in Ibaraki. Highly recommend it. Barbecue in the cow shed. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that leads us to topic number two. It does, which is all about the progress that we've made on the house. Yeah. All right. So how we how are we going up there? What what's the state of the house right now? Can you give us a quick little update? Yeah. So um, the state of the house we we've, we've done most of the destruction work now. Uh, we're starting on the construction work. I think that's the easiest way to to describe the situation. Beautiful. So when when Jessup came up, he very kindly, I mean, Jessup had been asking to come and do some work on the house for a long time. He had said, I really want to come and just like work really hard. Smash stuff. <laughs> like, Break it all. <laughs> um, so we saved him a job that nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> I definitely didn't want to do it. And she didn't really want to do it. <laughs> so we saved it for Jessup. <laughs> which, um, which involved where we used to have the bathroom. So the, the original bathroom was in the corner of the kitchen area. Yeah. And they'd built it in with this disgusting concrete, pink pebble stone concrete floor. So um, we needed to get, I don't even know what that piece of machinery is called. A massive drill, basically. Yeah, concrete drill. drill. <laughs> drill where you just like drill out the concrete so <laughs> Jess came up to do that for us yeah my teeth my teeth were chattering down. my teeth were so chattering <laughs> I gotta I gotta post like a picture of it or a video of it some somehow people need to see this at some point <laughs> yeah <laughs> they definitely do Jessup did an amazing job the, the reason why we actually needed to dig out a lot of that concrete is because the wood in the corner which is the far right corner of the house had actually rotten so there must have been some water leakage in that area 
So we, we basically need access to that area to replace that wood so the house does not fall down. Yeah, it was really interesting, honestly, to be able to get there and to see under underneath the house, to see how, you know, it was lifted. It's up on stilts, basically, and then it's got the wooden floor with no insulation anywhere. It was just wild. Yeah, and that that um, actually blew my mind when I saw under the house. Right. Because, I mean, in the UK, when you build a house, you start off by digging down into the ground to lay a foundation, which is half under the ground. Right. So there is no foundation dug into the ground in this house. It's it's a wooden floorboard, which must be about, I'm going to say, what? what maybe, maybe one meter? One just meter under a meter yeah. off the ground. And then in order to hold that up, there's wooden posts which come down and they are sat on concrete blocks on squares so when i first saw it i thought oh those concrete blocks must go into the ground but they don't you just pick them up with your hands they're just resting wow. on the dirt floor that's crazy. absolutely nothing that goes into the ground that is so wild yeah so um <laughs> so you you came into a bit of digging uh, we are making a brand new bathroom in a different room so the last couple of days we've been laying the foundation, which again, does not go into the ground. Yep. It's sat on top. So we've been laying concrete blocks to create a square room, basically, which we're going to fill with <laughs> concrete <Nice. laughs> and rubble. Nice. All right. Yeah. Very cool. So um, We've done that. We've also had the electricians in. So we've been having everything rewired and we've been having extra lights put in and lots of extra sockets because this house had very few plugs anywhere. Yep. So that's been going on. And we've also had the gas guy come in. So we've now got gas pipes going in and we've had a gas meter put on the back wall, which is great. And this week on Friday, we've got someone coming in to put some water pipes in for us. Wow. For the new bathroom, the new kitchen, and we're replacing the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Cut. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Sounds like things are progressing quite well up there. We'll have to have some visitors up when things are more in order. Yeah, um, and if you'd like to come back sometime next week to uh, do more concrete things, not drilling, nice. but mixing and pouring. Ooh, interesting. I might take you up on that. Yeah. So, yeah. So that that's what's going on. So it, it's definitely progressing. Cool. Now I got to ask you, uh, you know, as you describe the house, I'd imagine it's pretty drafty. I mean, living in an Akia over the winter is going to be quite a challenge. I think when you guys first saw the house, it was summer and it was very, you know, romanticizing about the lake and everything. So how has it been so far? I mean, we're not even into winter yet. How do you, how do you think you're going to survive the coming months? Do you have any <laughs> so, techniques? So we're living in this, in the small house, which is behind the main house. Yep. The main house is just full of dust and dirt. Um, the small house is constructed in a very similar style. There is no insulation. It's just, you know, open under the floor. So, yeah, it's freezing. It's really, really, really cold. <laughs> I mean, I nearly cried. <laughs> um, when was it? Last week. It got very bitterly cold. Yeah. Um, we've, we have bought a Corona heater. <laughs> which is okay. nothing to do with coronavirus. <laughs> it's a brand. 
<laughs> very fitting though it's uh it's like an oil stove i think my mum said she had one when she was a kid these these are like old-fashioned ways of heating houses but yep. they're very popular and common in the countryside to the extent that every gas station has a separate stand for the oil that you buy to use in these oil stoves wow okay interesting yeah. So we go down to the gas station with a couple of big um, tubs, containers that we fill up with oil, which we then decant into the Corona stove. Wow. Um, so we're using that. That actually kicks out loads of heat. So that is keeping us warm. But of course, there's an issue with, you know, oil fumes. Sure. And we can't leave it on all night. We've also bubble wrapped the windows and the floor. <laughs> I was going to so suggest we're now that. Living in a bubble wrapped room. Which <laughs> <laughs> has extra benefits. <laughs> hey, I've got the towel table still going on right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So we've bubble wrapped and, um, and we've got an electric blanket on the bed. Kiko has his own electric blanket. Nice. So um, I, I guess that's just, you know, that's as much as we can do. Um, we're going to go away for a few days over Christmas and New Year to escape. Um, and it gets really cold in February, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, February's going to be brutal. I think you're going to have to do like some kind of like, when you're so frozen up there, you're just going to have to record your thoughts because you're going to be a little bit delusional. There could be some like enlightening <laughs> moments up there maybe while you're in this state <laughs> of like comatose. <laughs> Wow, that's that's awesome. So last last winter in Tokyo, I was so cold. I just left for a month. I couldn't hack it. I just went. I went to Bali in Singapore, um, and that was that was when I was in a normal house in Tokyo. Oh, this is going to be so much fun! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's one more bit of information we can share. There was. Um, an article in the Japan Times newspaper about your about your adventure up there, written by yours truly. None other than <laughs> drumroll, please. Yes. Yeah, I wrote. So thanks to the podcast, by the way. Um, one of the editors at the Japan Times is a listener of our podcast. He reached out to me and said, I love Laura's story. Would you be interested in writing a story on it? And I thought, wow, that'd be pretty cool. So he reached out to me and uh, was able to write about your little adventure up there. You were. And I love it. It's brilliant. <laughs> I can't believe it. National interest story. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we'll we'll put a link to that also in this podcast. Oh, God, this is going to be just so action-packed for our listeners. <laughs> It is. There'll be so many things for them to click on. They're like, God, they've and been they've been quiet. One more, thing, yeah. one more thing they can click, which is the other subscription. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Is um I finally, finally, after months, launched the YouTube channel and we've now got two episodes up. It's awesome. Maybe I'll put a sound clip in after at the beginning of this podcast, actually, I might just do that. Okay, my editing Which skills. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. So that's right. So and what's it called? What's, what's it, that? What's a, what's a YouTube channel called again? There's, it's called Konnichiwa Konnichiwa Channel. Um, but I've since realised it's impossible to find because so many channels are called Konnichiwa on YouTube. <laughs> okay. So, so um, um, we. 
we might need to update the channel title slightly to make it slightly easier to find. But okay. um, if you put the link in the in the podcast info, people can find it. All right, sounds good. Wow, so much info. See, people are like, oh, they've been quiet. They're not doing anything. The problem is we've been too busy here we've the last couple of weeks. too busy. Yeah, that's and, exactly the problem. And I have been wanting to record. I wanted to record when I was up there, and then I got too busy with the, the jackhammer when I was in Huggy. I wanted to record, and it's just like, I want to do some recording while I'm on the go. And I think eventually we'll, we'll get to that point. But yeah, this has been uh, quite a busy couple months for both of us. And we're definitely not uh, just sitting around and depressed about the state of travel. We're quite active. Very active. Yeah. I feel like loads has been going on. Yeah, it's wild. All right. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up and we'll come back with our closing remarks. Okay. some final thoughts and keeping it positive and travel themed i think it's nice to remind ourselves that some countries are actually reopening for travel and i always forget about this because you know my businesses are in countries which are sadly not yet um but other countries are starting to reopen and people are slowly starting to move around the world again so i think it would be nice if we could maybe start to focus a little bit on that going forward that would be really cool that's a great idea you know what i've actually got a few people that i know that have been venturing out um cross-border i know a guy that has gone has gone japan japan bali uh, another guy that's gone Japan, US, back to Japan. Um, yeah, I've got a couple that come to mind right now. So maybe I can reach out to them and get a soundbite or two and we can ask them what it's like to actually, you know, go about traveling international right now. I would love that, particularly the Bali person, because that is where I escaped to last year when it got too cold. So maybe that's a, another option for me again this year. Beautiful. Bring it full circle. Okay, I'll reach out to him and see if we can uh, we can either get him on or at least get a soundbite while he's down there. Perfect. Okay, that sounds good. And I definitely want to see, let's try to get one of your staff or someone that we know in Singapore to go check out the glamping site as well and get an update on that. Oh, yeah, that would be excellent. Okay. I'll do that. All right. Awesome. Well, it's been great to talk to you again. I look forward to coming up there, pouring some concrete. I'm going to try to stay overnight at one point, sleep with your cat. Maybe we'll be snuggling under the electric blanket. Um, (laughs) And and we're definitely going to, you know, moving forward as you're doing more videos as well, we'll put all those links in there. And probably by summer, we can do a big... uh, get together with some people maybe we can do a podcast live recording with video from the cow shed oh yeah that would be excellent let's make that a goal ali come march or april we'll we'll do a podcast with video everyone's dying march is gonna be bitterly cold (laughs) no it'll be fine we'll be in t-shirts and shorts and global war global warming it's all gonna be good (laughs) well i tell you what then if that happens, we'll also go out fishing on the lake and you'll finally get a fishing trip. Hey, and let's jump in the water, you know, wild and crazy stuff up there in Ibaraki. Hey, you, you said people are dying off. We got to bring some life back to the area. I think we have, most definitely. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you already have. You've kickstarted something. It'll be interesting to see the trends and watch the data points moving upwards in Ibaraki now that uh, someone's up there that knows what they're doing in the travel sector. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ibaraki's going to be inundated with new residents just because, just because I bought a house. I've been talking about it. Hey, you never know how these dominoes can fall, Laura. <laughs> You know what? There's more houses in this neighborhood. I think I think everyone that we know should buy one. It'd be great to get some friends in. I'll, I'll be honest. When I was up there, I was like, hey, you know what? This isn't too bad, and it's not too far from Tokyo. I mean, I went up. Uh, I was four stops from Shinagawa Station on the express train, and it was a train that was like a Shinkansen. You had your own seat. It was really comfortable. Hour and 15 minutes. Tokyo to Ibaraki, get up there if you can, people in Japan, and uh, when people can come back and visit, um, it's definitely very easily accessible from Narita Airport as well, so I highly recommend it. Yeah, it really is. There you go, you're welcome, Ibaraki Tourism, <laughs> free free marketing and advertising here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Laura, sounds good. Thanks for catching up, and uh, we'll be back hopefully not a month later. I hope to put something out in the next week or two. Brilliant. See you later. Alrighty, bye bye. Bye. Let's have a sneak preview of Laura's new YouTube channel, Konnichiwa, to find out what it's like to buy, renovate, and live in an Akia. And um, we have decided to buy an Akia together. An Akia is the Japanese word for an abandoned house. Abandoned house. Next, we looked at Ibaraki, which is where Ichi is originally from. Ibaraki produces a lot of the food which is consumed all across Japan. It also has the most rapidly decreasing population size, which basically means nobody wants to live there. There's a link to Laura and Ichi's new YouTube channel on our Anchor Podcast page, as well as Where Did Travel Go Facebook page. Check it out. Bonus content. Hi, you're getting a Laura voice here because um, I'm wearing gloves and I'm too cold to take them off to type. It's f***ing freezing up here. I don't know how cold it is in Tokyo, but it's so cold here, Jessup. My feet are like ice blocks and I've got a Hanamizu and um, oh, my fingers are so cold. It's horrific. Ugh. Jess, I don't know how we're going to survive this. <laughs> I'm, like, failing on day one of cold weather. I'm so cold, I'm slurring my words. It's like I'm drunk. Oh, maybe I should drink a bottle of red wine. That'll warm me up.